When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Knife Talk is sponsored by Tormac. For your chance to win a T4 sharpening system, visit knifetalk.net to enter the draw. The winner will be chosen on our 10th show and will receive a Tormac T4 and a set of jigs to make your knives razor sharp. Welcome to Knife Talk. Now, today is a very special show as I'm speaking with a product designer. So Thomas Botner is responsible for the uh, Florentine knives, which are some of the most beautiful kitchen knives I, I think I've ever seen. So so good afternoon, Thomas, and how are you today? Thank you, Craig. I'm very well. Thank you. Good, good. So so I'm really pleased to be speaking with you today as I've been sort of following your journey really closely. I, I love that you're... You're making on a manufacturing scale, really. You're a, you're a knife designer and a manufacturer. So can you give us the pitch? How would you describe your business? Well, our business is basically a production knife company, um, but we do make small batches and uh, roughly 100 to 200 pieces for each model every year. And we try and change it every year. So we come up with a new model and we make only that in limited edition throughout the year and we also do steak knives for restaurants or we've got I got a chance to do bread knives for a Jewish museum in Manhattan once and doing it again this year and all sorts of these custom projects for fun basically <laughs> great so, so you, you originally started Florentine Knives in Tel Aviv so uh, how, did, how did the move to Barcelona come about what happened there well it Tel Aviv is is a great city, of course, it's my home, but Israel is sort of an island when it comes to business, I think. Everything seems much easier today with the internet, but um, and the, 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 problem, the, the big problem was that uh, Tel Aviv doesn't have any history of knife making or any manufacturing, and what I wanted to do, I had to go out and... I've been making my knives in the U.S., in Europe. Uh, so it was, the move just made it so much easier for me to, to control production and to make it happen faster and better. Yes, yeah. it's a very similar story with myself, really. So I was making knives in Wales, and again, not much of a history there in, in knife making, mm-hmm. um, but recently moved to France, and it, they've got a huge, sort of very rich culture of knife making there. Um, and just everybody seems interested, which is which is great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I, I I've been working in Portugal for a number of years now, and the that thing in Europe where every country has its own little village or town 
that only makes knives, like everyone in that city makes knives. It's pretty amazing. And it's not only about knives. Also other things, other, other things like, I don't know, cheese or wine or whatever. It's like all these areas that have their specialties. And I don't know, I find it really nice and something we don't have, like I'm not used to. Yeah, and I found that. I mean, where I live, within sort of 10 minutes, is one of the oldest forges in Europe. Um, in a place called Savignac Ledria, which which I didn't know, and there's there's all these artifacts all around the, all around the, this very small town, and it's just great to be sort of amongst that. But uh, but I digress anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's let's find a bit more about the business. So you you ran a successful sort of crowdfunding campaign a little while back, which how I first came to sort of see and hear about your beautiful knives. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, what happened was that um, these knives were actually my graduation project from from design school, and and the way well the project is very different from what actually happened. Like the the thesis of the project was something that uh, I'd be able to make locally in Tel Aviv, but that kind of failed. And uh, what happened is that I like. Uh, few days after I graduated, uh, Instagram posted uh, a post about me. And although Instagram was small back then, uh, I, overnight, I, I had to make knives. I really, I mean, I had to seize that opportunity because I was getting a lot of interest. And, uh, and that's how I, I, I didn't have money, of course. And I didn't want to take money from people for a product that didn't exist. So I started a crowdfunding campaign. Right. That's a really unusual way to sort of get into into production. Yeah, it's it it was well, it's it wasn't a lot of money back then. And but it just got me through it and the knives came out really nice. I, it's still maybe one of my favorites, the first ones we made. Yep. And it was a uh, a good success and yeah, basically um Adding to it a, a project that I did with the, the Jane restaurant in uh, Antwerp is what really made it happen for FKK, made it like viable. Right. Okay. So, so can you explain how the process works? So I'm assuming you aren't responsible for forging and grinding every knife as you operate on a much bigger scale than most of us. So, so do you select a knife maker and work with them or do you have in-house makers or do you hand over sort of rigid designs to manufacturing companies? How does that work? Well, I, I've changed manufacturing uh, a couple of times already, um, maybe because I'm a bit uh, strict, I would say, or <laughs> things didn't work out exactly the way I want it. But what usually happens is I work on the design, uh, I prototype it, I, I test it, and then I basically go to the, to the workshop or factory who I decide to work with, and we, we prototype it again, and then we, we get to the knife we want to make, and we... We make it, well, we just make a batch of it, and that's basically it. The, everything is done now. Uh, the factory I work with in Portugal, is everything is done in-house. So laser cutting, we don't forge. We cut, right. we cut sheets, uh, heat treating is done in-house, uh, grinding, and then assembly, finishing, polishing, all the rest of it. 
Great, great. So, so why knives? I mean, you mentioned it was part of your university uh, project, yeah. Um, but what made you choose knives? Well, I, I was always around restaurants and kitchens, and I worked at it for all, all my school years, basically for almost a decade. And when it came down to it, I I did a very um, I don't know how what's the word in English, but I would say like a cerebral decision. Um, I picked I picked the room in the house which interests me. Uh, I picked and I picked the kitchen. And then I picked the tool in the kitchen that interests me, <laughs> and I picked the knife. And adding to it that TV back then and still now is filled with people cooking on all the time. I said, well, I want to get out of school with something that I can do. So I think this could be a good thing. And I think from what we're seeing that's going on. Uh, worldwide now, uh, maybe a lot of people thought the same. I mean, I've been seeing, yeah, there's a lot of people making knives. There is, there is, yes, and um, it, and it's great to see that you know that people are starting to make stuff again. <laughs> so, so as as far as Western chef knives go, yours will definitely take some beating when it comes to the looks because they 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 really are stunningly beautiful. Thank so, you. So you've got you've got different style knives in your range, but they all have this sort of beautiful segmented handle with wood, leather, copper stacks, and so on. How did, how did that design come about? Well, the original thought was that I, I wanted to. You can't just do a school project and not bring something new. So what I wanted to to make was, um, well, I. I I studied a lot about knives and I decided where I can contribute is I can make a knife that I can customize just for you. Um, mm. And I thought that the weight and balance is something that's very particular. And so the discs allowed me to manipulate the weight, either making it lighter as a whole or putting the weight more in the back or more in the front or, I mean, the middle um, or distribute it. And that's how, that's why the, the that's how the stacking came about, really. And we, we did that. With the first 100 knives, people would uh, call or come or, or write and say what colors they wanted, what, and what kind of weight, where you, would they like the weight distributed, how. And that's what we did. Yeah. I mean, for those listeners who haven't seen the knives, just to describe them. So it's a it's 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 well, it's a full tang knife, but you don't actually see the spine because you stack these these discs along the tang, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a stacked handle. Well, it's a, it's a technique that's been used for for a long time. And but usually not with hard materials, I would say. I think now it's more you, you get to see more stacked knives with different materials. But the ones I knew when I started out were leather stack. Yeah. And so yeah, it just it just the way it's done gave me the opportunity to achieve that that my goal was was to control the weight and balance. So yeah. Yeah. Well I think you've managed to do something very clever because if you if you remove your maker's mark and logo, your your knives are still obviously Florentine knives. They they have a unique style, you know, which is something which is very hard to do. Yeah. After all, all knives are sharp and pointy, you know. Finding <laughs> distinguishing features are really hard. But you've, you've definitely cracked that anyway. Well, it was a, it was a long process. I, um, I don't know comparing to what, but it was a year of work. And there's a lot of details that, that's in there. And, and sometimes as a designer, you try to clean up a bit. Maybe not 
not overdo it, but we've managed to, well, I've managed to, to have a few things on this knife, I think, which are quite recognizable. Um, if it's that, that insert of, of brass on the, on the blade, if it's that stacked handle, and maybe the curviness, like the, the, the top arch. Of yeah, the, yeah. But I'd also say that your branding and photography is also sort of very special. So that, that obviously means something that, you know, you care about that too, just as much, that detail. Yes, I do. Well, it's my world, right? It's, yeah. I think it's, it's the, the design of it is very important. And um, you want to get the feeling of your product, um, I mean, to, for people to be interested in it. And I've worked with a graphic designer who was my roommate. <laughs> back then since the beginning Lancia Uli who now has a studio in London is a very successful graphic designer and he still does our design uh, together with his partner Galia Tamut and they've been on it uh, since the beginning so so we get a very cohesive very uh, consistent branding and I get to work with well I work with a lot of photographers and I work with all over over the years and and I think some of it, well, it's their qualities and the art direction it usually comes from me. And I guess when when you're the boss, then you got to know everything about your business. So so I, I feel the whole business. And that includes the products and the branding and the visual side of it. Yeah. Well, there's, there's definite quality running through our all, and it, and it really is great. So... I follow Florentine Knives on Instagram, and if you aren't following them, go follow them. Florentine Knives on Instagram, and and I drool about the knives. I'm I'm determined to get one one day. I think those, <laughs> steak, those steak knives are beautiful. But um, you mentioned Instagram originally posted something about you when you were just starting up. Yeah. Are you are you finding that Instagram has an effect on your business at all now? Is it still driving traffic? Is it still how most people come across your work? Yeah, I think Instagram is massive for me. And I think it's big for everyone making knives and well, everyone I follow, at least I see so much business action going on there. Mm. And, and I think it will only get stronger now that Instagram will introduce some, well, I heard at least that they will introduce some new features like you can link directly from photos or things like that. And so it basically you will drive more people into your website and hopefully buy more knives. Yeah, and it's really interesting to see, actually, the sort of the auctions that people have done on Instagram, particularly knife makers, which I'd never come across it before, but people just putting up a picture, say an auction starts now, make your bids in the comments. And it's yeah, great. it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, so so back, back to the... Oh, sorry. sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back, back to the knives. Um, you've, you've got a range of steels. So you, you use stainless, you use folded, you use high carbon steels and so on. But are you finding that carbon steels are becoming more popular? Definitely in the US. Um, right. The EU is a bit different uh, since there's a lot of regulations here uh, that are enforced. Um, yep. It's hard to find. It's even, it's, for me, it's hard even to find people that would heat treat carbon steel uh, let alone grind them because when you grind the carbon steel it goes into the water supply and and this um, this is against some EU regulations very hard to overcome unless you have a special uh, way of dealing with that 
Ah, that's really interesting because, again, that's something I've never come across on sort of a mass manufacturing scale. It's normally just myself in the workshop where, you know, it's not really an issue. But, yeah, I suppose that you must have all these little issues cropping up because you're doing stuff on such a big scale. Yeah, well, I I, I wouldn't call it a huge scale, but we did, um, since we see we only do, like, we did a couple hundred carbon knives this year, but really it's it's a problem now. And... I'm, I'm trying to find a way to solve it because definitely in the U.S. carbon steel is very popular, and I, I wonder why that is. Um, and I think, well, obviously the visual side of it, I like. I think everybody likes. Uh, I mean, mm. we put a patina on ours, and I, I like that look. Uh, but I think people are more into knives, and they're more. In, I mean, they know how to care for them, and they. They're willing to do it, so they they get the carbon steel. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's refreshing to see such beautiful knives that don't have a, a Damascus pattern too, because <laughs> I'm, I'm not really a fan of that look, um, and it'll probably make me unpopular. It's, everybody seems to be using Damascus at the moment, but um, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. On I that. love a clean carbon steel made with a hamon or you know some some light patina in, but um, yeah, it's lovely to see. <laughs> um, I actually, well, it's even. Well, you know, because you work in Europe too, and it's hard. It's hard for us to get the supplies we want. Sometimes mm. the steels we want, it's not easy to get the, the exactly the steels you want. And in the U.S., it's like um, it's like a a buffet, right? It's like yeah, uh, oh yes, yeah, yeah. And I think even down to consumables, uh, you know, getting getting good stabilized wood, getting good grinding belts i tend to get most of it from the u.s which is a real shame yeah it is a shame maybe someone one day will pick up the glove and and and, and start um yeah. importing or making or then there is i think somewhat of um an attitude in europe towards um I don't know how to say it, but I've been talking, let's say, for, with steel manufacturers, and I think the U.S. is, is setting the tone because the, um, they make and buy the most knives. But I think Europeans look at it a bit differently and sometimes want to keep doing what they've always been doing. I mean... Yes, maybe so, yeah. There's an opportunity out there for somebody anyway, I think. <laughs> <laughs> So again, back to the knives. I, I, I've got to keep coming back to them because they're so yeah, beautiful. But um, <laughs> I, I also love that. Well, I assume it's it's a brass plug that each knife seems to have. That um, that brass disc that you have on the uh, just next to the bolster there. Yeah. So um, some of those seems to be etched as well. Is is that with a laser or is that stamped on? How does that work? Well, it used to be uh, engraved, like manually. Oh, right. Okay. And then it, I moved to to laser marking it. Uh, and also used to be numbered. Sorry, I have some things <laughs> and making noises here. Uh, it used to be numbered, and well, we kind of replaced that now with the name of the steel, basically the number of the steel. Ah, right. And, right. Yeah. Because I do something quite similar. So I number all of my knives. Um, and what the customer can do, then they can go back to the website um, input the number and find out the details such as weight, materials used, that kind of thing. Nice. Um, and I just think that brings it all back to this whole sort of making thing that each knife is individual. You know, even, even if they are, you know, I may do five knives the same yeah. and not exactly the same weight and so on will we'll slightly change. So it's lovely to see makers doing that and putting, literally putting their stamp on things. 
Yeah. I think it's, it's part of that. Well, we always try and chase perfection, right? Yeah. But in the same time, we know we'll never get there. So we always try. And then every knife comes out a little bit different. Even if we're always aiming for the same thing. Well, yeah, everything we do, of course, is is manually. Well, the, the grinds we do right now are are, uh, are done by by CNC machines, but the uh, but the assembly, the finishing, the shaping of the handles and everything. So, yeah, obviously the assembly is basically freehand, right? Yes, yeah. So, yeah, everyone comes out a bit different. Yeah. So, I mean, I speak with a lot of sort of one man shops producing these beautiful handmade knives and so on. Um, but this is obviously very difficult to scale, you know, as you just mentioned. So, so do you think the availability of sort of cheaper laser cutter machines and CNC mills will change that in the coming years for for the layman, for you know, not having to go to a big factory? But do you think do you think that that's coming where people will just have these in their own sort of personal studios? I, I see it now, basically. I mean, I see a lot of makers have CNC machines, and well, laser cutting is sometimes millions of dollars. Yes. So, so that maybe no, but that's not a problem because in your neighborhood there's probably someone that has a laser cutter. Yeah. But um, but definitely like better ovens and 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 CNC, small CNC machines and I don't know small lace and everything is is can I mean can be affordable especially for guys who are making um uh, 500, 600, 700 dollar knives. They'll get there. Then I think when I started out, I didn't know a lot of people doing what I was doing. But I think a lot of makers now have their production line. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it's been mentioned on the show before, but Aaron Goff. Um, I don't know if you've seen his videos. Yeah, I've heard it. I've heard that. Yeah. Again, it's 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 a one man shop, but he's setting up a whole production line, which is just really impressive. Um. Yeah, the, the, some some people have a lot of demand and you need to supply and you just become more efficient. And part of my training, I, th- I think, as, as an industrial designer is um, trying to find maybe the smartest way to do something. But when it comes to knife making, you still want to maintain the soul of the object, I think. And it's a balance, basically. Yes, we, yeah. we, we try to... I try to make the design in a way that we do, we try and do with machines what machines do best and with people what people do best. Yes, that's a very good way of thinking of it, actually. Yes, I really like that. So you, you've got your knives available through retailers around the world, which yeah. is a dream for most people. So, <laughs> so, so how do you cope with that demand when you maybe see a spike in a, in a store in New York? Is it a case of just get as many, ship as many as you can to them and... And hope that they sell, or do you do you hold a small stock in each store? How does that work? Um, no, I just I just um, I sell I sell the knives to the shops. I don't uh, ah yeah I don't uh, cons- I don't do consignment or anything. Uh, so first come first serve. Ah, oh, fantastic! Less risk for you, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot less. Oh, even so- though they they get a much better price than anyone else, and um. But I'm happy we can offer that because I think part of the um, part of the thing when you come to buy a knife, uh, you want to feel it. 
um, and it's hard to do uh, online. So if there's someone near you um, that carries them, you can go and see it and feel it and make up your mind if it's good for you. I mean, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want something who, I mean, something sold to someone who doesn't really, I mean, who saw a picture and got the wrong idea. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that's a lovely thing, you know, to hold something in your hands, something, something tangible. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a beautiful thing, yeah. So, so what are your plans for the business going forward? So the business is kind of going backwards, I would say, in a way that we want to make our knives in-house and still use the, the, the capabilities we have with uh, heat treating, uh, laser cutting, and but we're opening an atelier here, uh, a workshop here in Barcelona. Yeah. In the coming yeah. months, and I want to be, I want to be making more and less uh, worrying about logistics and shipments and 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 I get someone to do that and I want to be in the shop and practice, you know, practice my skills and produce some and be able to produce more custom knives like on demand uh, I, i'm yeah. assuming we'll still do our our, our i mean my my oh. design but uh it's so easy with with our design to to switch materials to switch uh colors to just to play with it yeah and be able to offer that really sort of bespoke service then i assume yeah yeah and obviously it's a great culinary city barcelona and I'm looking forward to, let's say, creating a community more. And this is something that I I've missed here because I'm not I haven't been here for long, a year and a half, and and get get to hang out with the cooks and get hang out with the people in the industry like I used to. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So if people want to find out more about you, um, where can they find you online? Well, we we have a website, FlorentineKitchenKnives.com, um, Instagram, Florentine Kitchen Knives, um, Facebook, same thing, all over the place, Tumblr. Wherever you get a connection, you're going to find you. <laughs> we try. <laughs> well, I suppose that's a really good time to wrap up. But again, thank you so much for your time, Toma. And uh, hopefully I'll be buying a knife from you very soon. Well, talk to me. You know the boss. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards.